Uh, this is week one of our Christmas series. Today, we're going to look at people who missed Christmas. People who missed Christmas. And we're going to look right at the scriptures and find examples of people who missed Christmas, basically right at the birth of Jesus. But before we get to that, let me kind of thread the needle a little bit. Would we all agree that Christmas has become kind of a, a global thing, kind of a global sensation, right? People literally celebrate Christmas from every corner of the world. I mean, there's, there's people that are going to be celebrating it over in Africa, in Europe, Russia, everywhere. It is really kind of a, a global phenomenon or a global sensation. And yet, the vast majority of, of people who celebrate it throughout the world will actually miss its true meaning. They will miss what it actually stands for and what it represents. And uh, the last thing that we want to do is just assume that because people are celebrating Christmas, they actually understand what it represents and what it means. I, I grew up in a family that missed it. No, we weren't Jehovah Witness or anything like that where we wouldn't celebrate Christmas at all. I think Jehovah's Witnesses won't do it. Uh, but we grew up in a house where we did all of the festivities and everything, but we just missed it. We just missed the meaning of it. I, I remember when I was a, a young boy, we would drive all the way up to Red Bluff every year about this time of year. My family, we would drive all the way up there. My, my grandparents lived in between Red Bluff and Redding. They lived in a place called The Bend, and uh, it's, it's really a beautiful community up there between those two towns. Uh, and I just remember taking these road trips up there, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so darn old, the car that we took was one of those big green station wagons with the rear seat that faced on cut, where they have the traffic behind you. Anyone ever ride in one of those where you're sitting in it, and you're actually looking at cars? And, of course, if you're a kid, you're, you know, you're doing this to the other driver there, and, of course, they're giving you the one-finger peace sign while you're going like this, and you're like, Daddy, what does that mean? Don't look at him, son, you know? Anybody have one of those experiences? You remember those old cars? I remember throwing up in one of those cars. That was, that was not fun. Uh, but I remember getting in a car like that and driving three and a half hours or however long it was up to our grandparents' house just above Red Bluff. And I remember how my grandfather, and I called him Bampa. Everyone in the family called him Bampa. And uh, he was a neat guy. But he would set up this massive, massive tree in the living room, and they had like these really high vaulted ceilings. So this tree was like 20 feet, probably 20 or so feet tall. And I remember that just this big tree sitting next to the fireplace, and uh, it was just, it was awesome. And I remember my grandmother, we called her Nini, she always had Christmas music playing in the background. Of course, back then it was probably eight track or vinyl, but she always had Christmas music, and I, I feel that she had the best Christmas music, and that'd be like the jazz standards and, you know, Sinatra and stuff like that. So I remember the tree, I remember the house, I remember the music so clearly. Uh, I remember that uh, we'd be up there for about a week before Christmas and just a couple of days after, and I remember I used to take out my 410 shotgun and go shoot rabbit. Little cottontails and stuff like that, we'd, we'd, we'd kill stuff. Uh, Somebody went, oh, oh wait, we're guys. It's what we're supposed to do. You know, today it's skinny jeans. It should be blown away rabbits. I'm probably wearing skinny jeans, unfortunately. And I've got a rabbit on me. But uh, 
No, but I remember going out and, and you know, my, my, my uncle wasn't much older than I was and we would go out with our guns and we would shoot stuff and blow up the mountainside. We'd hunt rabbits and shoot squirrels and stuff. We'd go down. They lived literally right on the Sacramento River. So they were probably 100 feet or so from the water's edge. We'd walk down there and we would fish. And they had a lot of northern pike down there and we'd just fish. I mean, it was just, just an incredible time that I have a ton of great memories from all of that. And this was all pre-junior high. This is all up to about eighth grade. It was after uh, eighth grade that my dad left my mom and then, then everything kind of blew apart. But I have a lot of fond memories of, of Christmases there. But the, the one person that I, I don't remember being a part of any of that is Jesus. There, there was literally, and, and we did this every year, and there, there was no mention of Jesus at our Christmas celebrations up there. Jesus wasn't focused on. Jesus wasn't talked about. I remember there was a big, uh, really cool nativity set, and Jesus, the little baby Jesus that looked more like a Muppet, was in his little thingy there. But nobody ever talked about the little Jesus Muppet deal in there. Nobody talked about the wise men or anything in that setup. Nobody talked about Jesus. Our Christmases were not about Jesus. They were never about Jesus. Never. Of course, looking back, I say, what? That's the whole point of Christmas. But not really today. Our Christmases were about traveling. Our Christmases were about, you know, getting together. Our Christmases were about family. They were about really, really weird foods. Because when you're a child and somebody brings out prime rib, you're like, what? Is that the fatted calf? What is this? Or liver? My grandparents loved that stuff. Liver and onions. Stunk the whole house up. Anyone eat that today? Liver? Okay. Oh, my Lord. They're here. They keep following me, Jesus. Oh, it's horrible. I mean, I just remember the foods. they lay. Today, I love the foods except for the liver. But back when you're a kid and you're bringing out these big birds and stuff and you're thinking, wow, that thing was alive a few minutes ago. Wait a minute, you shoot rabbits. I know, but it's different, you know. I remember the foods and they were really weird and lots of puddings. I don't understand that. Uh, the outdoors. I remember sitting on my grandfather Bampa's lap and he, he drank. He was a, a sailor in World War II, and, and I tell you what, that guy drank like a fish. And I remember he'd, you know, he'd tell me a story or he'd give me a kiss on the cheek, and I could smell that martini breath. I'd get loaded just sitting in the guy's lap. I just remember the smell of gin or vodka, whatever it was that he had that night. And then obviously, Christmas was about those things, but it was about presents too. Lots and lots of presents. And I loved the presents my grandparents gave because they were loaded. So they gave us the good stuff. My parents, not too much. Grandparents hooked us up like crazy. And I'll tell you, my uncle and I used to sneak out at like 2 in the morning on Christmas Eve. Well, actually, it'd be Christmas morning. And we would take a razor blade and slice open our presents and pull them out and look at them and touch them and play with them. And then we would put it all back together and slide it back into the packaging and we'd tape it shut, wake up in the morning and act surprised. <laughs> we would. We would wake up in the morning. Wow, look, a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. Had no idea. Played with it. It was all funky. Anyone ever, like, break into your presence in the middle of the night? Brenda, you're such a sinner. 
these are the things that we did. These are the things that we focused on. These are the things that were emphasized, but absolutely no focus or emphasis on, on Jesus. And, and obviously, for those of us who love Jesus Christ, for those of us who are disciples, for those of us who are followers, believers, whatever term you want to use, Christmas is obviously a time to focus on His birth. Right? Easter's a, a time to focus. You got the Friday, you got his death on the cross, you got the burial on Sunday, Easter Sunday, you got the resurrection. We've got these holidays where we focus on a different emphasis of who he is and what he accomplished for us. And so Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus. And yet, Christians can get caught up in this crazy swirl of activity that occurs around this time every year, and we can actually end up missing Christmas in a practical sense at least. Satan has so cluttered the Christian concept of Christmas with needless, just utterly useless paraphernalia that its true meaning is easily lost. Would we all agree to that? We see that, right? And and I would say this just as a kind of a default statement. It's... It's one thing for non-believers or unbelievers to miss Christmas. We get that. Why, why would an unbeliever, a person who does not love Jesus, a person who's never experienced his, his grace, mercy, and peace, and all that stuff, salvation, why, why would we think that, well, I just can't believe they don't understand. We get it. We understand why they don't celebrate Christmas rightly. They're, they're unbelievers. They're like I was for most of my life. And, and so it's to be expected that unbelievers would, would fail to understand that and kind of do whatever it is they do. But it's, it's quite another thing for believers to miss Christmas, right? That's just, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And, and I'll tell you, this can and will happen if, if we don't guard ourselves and have a proper understanding of what's going on or the kind of the things that lure us away. It can happen. So this morning from from Scripture, I'm going to show you five examples of people missing Christmas. And I'm going to to give you the reasons why or how they missed it. Now, I've got to give another disclaimer here. I I did borrow some of this material from a booklet that MacArthur had written a few years back called Six Ways to Miss Christmas. Now, he talks about the ways, and I'm going to talk about the people and the ways, but I'm not talking about six, I'm talking about five. But I think it's important that I start by telling you that because I don't want to plagiarize and, and you know, not give credit where it is due. The, the booklet was just too phenomenal not to, to use as a resource. And uh, he's a pretty brilliant guy anyway, so pretend I'm him, but just a lot younger and better looking. And absolutely not as humble as him. Make sure you put that at the top of the list. So next Sunday, we will, uh, on Christmas Eve, Lord willing, we get to that point, Jesus doesn't come back, I'll do the opposite, and I'll talk about people who did not miss Christmas from Scripture. So two weeks, people who did, people who didn't. I don't have a resource from MacArthur on that one. I had to come up with that on my own, so I'll take, I won't take the credit. Jesus will take the credit. Let's pray before we get to work, okay? Lord, I... Just humble myself now, and, and that's a tough thing, and uh, I want to be a vessel for you and, and just for you to speak through me and for you to, to reach the folks here at this church. 
uh, the people that call this place home and those who are visiting. I'm so glad that we have people visiting today. It's such a joy to see new faces. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would minister to us through your word and through these examples and uh, just build up the Christians in the room. And if there be any here that have yet to become a Christian, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take your sovereign grace and apply it through these examples and through the scripture and regenerate and make, make whoever it is that's not a believer a believer today. It's only, it can only be done by you. It's your work. And uh, we pray for that today. But Lord, I, I just humbly ask, Lord, that you'd help us not miss Christmas. Just show us from scripture what's happened and what can happen and that uh, your people uh, might rightly worship you around this time of year. So we give you the glory and and our focus right now, we pray that you would minister to us through the Holy Spirit. Thanks again for the new faces that are here. Thank you for your word in this awesome time that we have every week to come together and focus on your word and on your grace and mercy. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys ready? Let's take a look at the first example. Number one is the innkeeper. The innkeeper, this is the dude that basically ran the hotel that Joseph and Mary showed up at when she was about to have a baby. Luke 2.7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. That's not a hotel bed. Because there was no place for them in the inn. So right off the bat, we're looking at how they come into Bethlehem. There is no room in this inn, and they have to go out into the stable area where the animals are. And she goes out and gives birth in this area and lays him in a manger or a feeding trough. The first person who missed Christmas was the innkeeper. This is his facility. This is his place. He was unable to take in Mary and Joseph because he had no room in his inn. Apparently, he was indifferent to their plight. There is no indication from Scripture that he called for any help. Uh, literally, what happens is they show up, she's about ready to have a baby, and the best he can do is give them some space out there with the animals where there's a manger, and he doesn't call for any help or get them any assistance or anything, but he totally knows their plight. He can see it, and the best he can do is say, go out there with the cows and all that. It's incredible to me. This is the, the king of glory that's about to be born. And I get it. It's God's plan, and he's sovereign, and, and being born in the stable and being laid in a manger is an expression of the humility of Jesus Christ. I get it. When Jesus returns, he will come in glory. It won't be about mangers. It'll be about mangling these enemies. I get it. I understand. But it's incredible to me that the guy running the hotel here can't find space for these people and, and doesn't even call for any assistance. Notice how verse 7 says she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's a reference to Jesus. Literally, Mary herself gave birth to Jesus. She, she is the one who basically delivered her own baby. Now, how many of you are mothers in here? How many of you had an epidural? I see Jill out of the corner of my eye. You are a stud! How many of you gave birth to your own baby, though? Nobody in here? You did? Oh, okay. You gave yourself a C-section. That's at another level. 
wow. Yeah, that's like, okay. <clears throat> How many people in here actually gave birth to your own baby? She gave birth to her own baby. She had to deal with all the pain, all the anxiety and anxiousness, and actually deliver this baby on her own, and then she wraps him in swaddling cloths. Uh, they were strips of, of cloth. And whenever an infant was born, immediately the baby was cleaned. Then the baby's limbs and, and body would be wrapped in these swaddling cloths and then wrapped up in an outer blanket. And, and all of this was the duty that would be carried out by a midwife. That's how, how it took place back then. You'd have a midwife there, a woman that was there to help the birth transpire and help take care of the baby and all that. And yet, in the text, we see that this had to be done out in the pasture, out in the stable with the animals, with the sheep bleeding and the cows mooing, and, and Mary had to do it all herself. That's incredible to me. Now, we don't know anything about the innkeeper because the Bible doesn't say anything about him other than the fact that, you know, he didn't help them out here in any way beyond giving them space out with the animals. Some commentators speculate that Jesus was born in a stable. Some think he was born in a cave. Others believe he was born in an open courtyard at the inn. We don't know exactly how or what the you know, location looked like. One thing we do know, whatever hospitality Mary and Joseph hoped to find, they found none. They were turned away. Why did the innkeeper miss Christmas? Why did this transpire like this? Why did this happen like this? Why did he miss it? He's got the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus the Savior, the Messiah, who's about to be born, clueless, doesn't give him a room. How does he miss it? Ignorant preoccupation. That's how he missed it. That's how he missed the birth. That's how he, of Jesus, that's how he missed Christmas. What, how would we translate that? What does that mean? He was busy. He was just too preoccupied with business affairs or with whatever he was going on, dealing with the hotel action. He was just too busy to catch what's happening here. His hotel, his inn was full because a census was being held in his city. And the city was literally bulging with people whose ancestors had come from there. Since Bethlehem was the city of David, all those who were in the line of David were there, including Joseph and Mary. And the text doesn't indicate that the innkeeper was hostile or unsympathetic. He was just busy. He was preoccupied. And many people today are like the innkeeper. The chambers of their souls are, are filled with needless things, with stuff that doesn't matter. As a result, they miss the Christ of God. They miss Christmas. Our society is, is just filled with the unnecessary, the insignificant, and the meaningless, is it not? We spend a fortune to amass things that we leave behind for our children to fight over. You want to see the absolute worst in people just die and leave a bunch of stuff to one kid or whatever, and I'll tell you what, 
You, you, you see people rise to the occasion when a loved one passes away, and you see the ugliest that humanity can produce at this time. I know, I, I see deaths all the time, and I'm involved in these things, and, and you just see people get just, just weird and ugly during these times. They get selfish, and they want stuff. And here we are battling to get the next thing, and, and at some point we're going to pass away and leave these things behind. For somebody who didn't work for them, who didn't earn them, to take them and not really value them. Our time is, is eaten away by the demands our things place on us, right? All our time, we're just preoccupied with, with managing the things that we own, houses, whatever these things are. Time is chewed up, resources chewed up, our focus, our mind is chewed up by these things. Like the innkeeper, people today are ignorantly preoccupied. We miss Christ at Christmas time because He is crowded out by a world that dictates what we should think, do, and buy. And you say to yourself, well, of course, that's the unbeliever. I'm not talking about unbelievers right now. I am talking about us Christians. That, that we get wrapped up in these things and the commercialism of it and we lose sight of what it's actually about. We are ignorantly preoccupied by crap, by stuff, stuff that really doesn't matter. The innkeeper didn't know anything about the baby Mary gave birth to and, and neither do many of the people today that celebrate Christmas. No concept. It's about Santa and waiting in line for an hour and a half to get your kids to get a picture taken with some Santa look-alike. It's all about those things. People don't know who Christ is and they don't know why He came because they are busy with mundane and meaningless things. That's the bottom line. That's the innkeeper. And that's many today, right? Just busy, 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 busy. I tell you, I don't know if there's a more stressful time of year than this time of year. Whether it be the family dynamics that make it hard and difficult because I've got to start dealing with relatives I haven't seen for a while and I don't get along with them or whatever or just being like the people in this picture up here that are just fighting over stupid flat screens. I don't know if that woman in the middle had both those screens ripped from her or whatever, but she don't look too happy. I like that guy in the top left up there. He just photobombed that whole scene right there. But this, this, is, this, is, this is Christmas time in America. How utterly disgusting. Not these people per se, but the concept and the idea. I'll tell you what, I tried to go out on Black Friday this last time. I lasted about 15 minutes. I got ticked off and got out of there. I'll never, ever, ever go back out into that. And I don't even want to be counted with these numbers. I don't want to get wrapped up in all that because there's a deal. Preoccup ignorantly preoccupied by consumerism. And I'm telling you, it can happen to us. That's the innkeeper. Number two, the Romans. The Romans. 
Micah's prophecy that the Christ child would be born in Bethlehem was set in motion by a Gentile emperor. Luke 2, 1 through 2 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So basically you've got this the census that takes place and all of these people have to, it's given down by edict by the Roman emperor and all these people have to go to Bethlehem to be counted. It's because of that that all of this was kind of triggered in God's grand scheme of things and the people would show up at Bethlehem right about the time Jesus is born and the Roman soldiers would literally register the people. They would take the census and they would collect any sort of tax or anything that was put on the people. The Romans were behind all of this. This was playing out right under their noses. Throughout the life of Christ, we see the presence of the Romans. And you read the Gospels, the Romans are always there and actively involved. They were the, they were the, the, the empire that was in control of the region. The Jews were underneath their power. They are everywhere in the Gospels, always active centurions and these different Roman officials. They're active during the ministry and present during the ministry of Jesus. Before his death, Christ appeared before Pilate. Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. He was, Jesus was executed by the Romans, wasn't he? Roman guards after that lied about his resurrection, propagating a story to cover up the reality that he arose from the dead. The Romans were always involved and around at the birth and through the life, and they were responsible at the death. They even made up stories after he rose to make it look like his body got stolen. The Romans missed Christmas. They missed the birth. They missed his life. They were responsible for his death but had no inclination, idea what it was about. Why did they miss Christmas? pagan idolatry. The Romans worshipped a multitude of gods, of false gods, Roman deities, and quite frankly, Christ didn't fit into their pantheon of gods. Christ would have been just one more deity anyways if they'd added Him at all, but they just rejected any notion of Him being God. They had their gods, so they worshipped their idols. The pinnacle of their worship was emperor worship. They actually worshipped their emperors, which were men. They worshipped them as gods. So in the midst of their pagan idolatry, they, they missed Christmas. They're, they're in charge of the census, which leads Joseph and Mary into Bethlehem. The Savior is born there. There's Christmas. There's the first one. They missed all of that. They missed the life of Jesus, even though they were actively involved in it. They missed the fact that He was Savior. They missed Christmas in that sense. They missed it at His death, missed it at His resurrection. They missed it, missed it, missed it because of pagan idolatry, because of idols. And the world is full of people who worship their own gods. They don't worship idols like they did at the time of Christ. But we still have idols. We still have lower G gods, don't we? Some people worship money. Some people worship sex. Others worship cars, boats, and houses, you know, possessions. Some worship power and prestige. 
Those are the pagan gods of today, the idols of the 21st century. They're still around. If those are the things that we are worshiping, we too will miss Christmas. And I can see how money and these sorts of things, objects and possessions, really play a huge part in this time of year and how people miss it because of that. This picture represents that really, really well. Some people, during this time of year, their idol is savings. Just saving money so they can have more money for themselves. I think ultimately the biggest idol that exists at Christmas time and pretty much at all times is self. It is self. Christmas is supposed to be a time of giving, right? Giving without thinking about receiving, but most of the time people are giving so they can get from those whom they give to. Right? Heaven forbid that we Christians would get wrapped up in pagan idolatry this time of year or be wrapped up in, up in it any time of the year. That we would worship the same idols that the world worships and, and then therefore miss Christmas and miss just about everything else that's meaningful. The Romans missed it because of this, guys. Number three, Herod the Great. In Matthew 2, 1 through 3, and in 2, verses 7 through 8, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or the magi, came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, or when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, in all Jerusalem with him. Why on earth would a king who reigns over Israel as well as the Israelites be troubled by the birth of their Messiah? That's insanity to me. Why would they be troubled? It says he's so troubled. Then he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time, what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod was the, the king of the land when Jesus was born, and he was a paranoid king, a fearful, a frightened king. He was a power-hungry Power-lust king. He even killed many of his own family members whom he thought were threatening his throne. He even had his own wife killed. Thought that she was a threat to his throne. Some of his sons, other officials, and this guy was nuts. One of the greatest evidences of his bloodthirstiness and insane cruelty was having the most distinguished guests our most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem, arrested and imprisoned shortly before his death. Right before he dies, he's sick, he's going to die. He, he has all of the most notable citizens of Jerusalem arrested. All of the uh, notable people, all of the noble people, all of the most popular, higher uh, officials and things like that, all of these people he has them arrested because... He knew no one would mourn his death because he was such a brutal and despised king. He gave orders that all of these noble people, all of these high-ranking people in his community, 
All of them that are now prisoners, he had the order given that they would be executed the moment he died to ensure that there would be weeping in Jerusalem when he died. That's at another level. That's how twisted this dude is. And that barbaric act was exceeded in cruelty only by his slaughter of all the male children who were in Bethlehem from two years old and under, right? Matthew 2.16. By that action, he hoped to kill any threat to his throne from the one the Magi, the wise men, said would be born king of the Jews. So in an effort to get rid of Jesus, not long after Jesus is born, he goes and has all of the baby boys who are roughly that age slaughtered and killed so that he can avoid any kind of competition with Jesus. Boy, you talk about missing Christmas. Why did Herod the not-so-great, and he was called the great because he was one of the greatest builders, but he wasn't a great person by any means, but how did this guy miss Christmas? Jealous fear. Many people miss Christmas for this same reason. Herod was afraid that someone else would take his throne. Today, people are fearful of of giving up their own plans, giving up their priorities, giving up their values, giving up their, their set of morals. They don't want to come to Christ because they know He will lay claim to their lives. They understand even a small, they sense it in the smallest way that if I come to Jesus, that means that that I have to kind of surrender to Him and to His Lordship and, and I can no longer be who I've always been, who I long to be, who I prefer to be. So they see Jesus as an interference and someone who, who will take away from them, yet robbing themselves and not understanding that He came to give abundant life. It's a trick of the devil. Yes, Jesus will claim, lay claim to your life. You better believe it, brother. And these people know they they won't come to Christ for the same reason. They fear that. And today what you have are these adaptations. You have, well, I have Jesus, but I keep doing what I was doing. I I, I added Jesus to my life. He's not necessarily my life, but I I added him to what I'm already doing. And, And really nothing's changed. Well, that's just not Christian. You know, I can continue to do this and have Jesus. No, no, no. No, it's all or nothing with Jesus. And then when you surrender to Him, you get all. But see, we don't understand that. Out of jealous fear, we won't submit to Him. We won't come to Him. We neglect Christmas and the Christmas message. We don't want to change our lives. We like the way we are, especially when you've got the media constantly telling us to to do our own thing, to to master our own faith, to to chart our own destiny straight into hell. The world is is full of kings who will not kneel before Jesus. So they miss Christmas just like Herod. Right? What about us? Have we said no to Jesus because we are afraid of the claim He will lay on us? 
Have we said no to Jesus? Do we avoid the Christmas message? Do we just turn it into something else? Because we, we want to be the Lord and master of our life. We want to be the, the king of our own little kingdom. How utterly foolish. Jesus' kingdom is much more glorious than anything that we could cook up. And quite frankly, one day, you will bow. You will be made to bow as your knees are broken from under you and you fall on your face and then go into justice and judgment and punishment. We just don't want to surrender to Him because we want to keep doing our thing. We want to keep, I'm the Lord of my life. Now just let me ask you a question if that's the way you think. How's it working out so far? Don't lie to me. How is it working out for you to be in charge of your own life? How's that worked out for you so far, for you to be the king of your own little kingdom? How's that working out? I did it for 30 years. Boy, did I make a mess of my kingdom. Boy, if it weren't for the grace and power of God, I'd be real messed up right now. I could still make a mess of my own life now if I'm not cautious and careful, if I'm not in the Word and the Scripture, if I'm not filled with the Spirit. You see, people are just like Herod today. I don't want anything to do with that because that that means I'll have to change or that means that I'll have to give him my life and I, I I I want to be in charge. And I just ask the simple question, how's that working out for you? I think most people, if they were, probably all people, if they'd be honest, they'd tell you it's not working out too good. But people won't even be honest, right? They won't even be honest about that. It happens, guys. It can even happen to us Christians. I know it sounds like, well, that's for unbelievers. Well, no, you can, you can have fear. You can get caught up in all of this kind of garbage and, and just really not be real with the Lord and be living this consumerism and distraction and all of this while being fearful of what actually Jesus really calls you to, especially this time of year. So that's Herod the not-so-great. Four, the religious leaders. Once Herod learned from the wise men, from the Magi, that a child would be born who would be king of the Jews, he called in the experts, he called in the religious leaders, Boy, we need to get an assembly together and talk this through. We need to figure out what's happening here. Matthew 2, 4 through 6 says, Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, Miles just read this, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The chief priests consisted of the high priest, the captain of the temple police, and the best of the other priests, those who had great administrative teaching and leadership skills. For the most part, the chief priests were Sadducees. That was a particular type of ruling body of people then, or leaders. The scribes were primarily Pharisees. That's another type. They were the linguists and interpreters 
who understood the culture and history of the biblical data. Those two groups knew where the Messiah was to be born because they were familiar with Micah's prophecy. This is why they were called in to give counsel to the, this overly you know, fearful and paranoid king. One thing the Jewish nation had been looking for and still does to this day was the Messiah. They had been waiting for a deliverer throughout their history, especially while under Roman oppression. However, these priests and scribes were unwilling to travel the few miles to Bethlehem to find out if this baby might be their Messiah. After receiving critical information about Messiah from Herod, who got it from the wise men, the top religious leaders, the ones who lead the Jewish religion, what did they do? Did they travel to Bethlehem to see for themselves? No, they remained right there in Jerusalem. And they missed Christmas. Well, how could they miss it? They're religious people. Religious people miss it all the time. They're just as prone to miss Christmas as people who aren't religious. Maybe more so. Why? Why did the religious leaders, the highest ranking religious leaders, and you've got to understand this was a big part of their political landscape and government, then why did they miss Christmas? Why did they stay there after even confirming the prophecy? Prideful indifference. You see, the religious leaders had all the facts but they didn't need a Messiah. Wait a minute, weren't they waiting for a Messiah to come? Sure, a Messiah of their own making. These these people were self-righteous. They they saw themselves as as perfect keepers of the law and, and, and those who could earn their way, earn and make their own way to heaven by doing good deeds. And that's basically what religion is. There was no room for the Son of God in their system of religion. Later, during His ministry, the religious leaders grew to hate Jesus. Oh, they they knew who He was. They plotted and planned for how to kill Him. They conspired against Him. Why? Because He exposed their hypocrisy. He exposed their sin. He revealed to everyone around who they really were. Religious on the outside, but filled with dead men's bones. From beginning to end, from front to back, the religious leaders missed Christmas because they did not believe they were sinners needing a Savior. They used their religion to gird up their self-worth and religious attitude, thus making them feel like they had no need of a Savior because we're not sinners because we do everything right. And this is what religious people do. Many people today miss Christmas for this same reason, right? Prideful indifference. What is indifference? It, it means not to care. I don't care that, that this guy who could be our Messiah was born around Christmas time, or that's what this holiday represents, or in the religious leader's terms, I don't care if he was born a couple of miles away. They're prideful and they don't care, and people feel that same way. They, they, re, they are represented by that same attitude today. They ignore Christ, they ignore the the reason for this season because they don't understand their condition. 
They believe they are good people because they do good deeds and, and, and because they followed maybe the rules of society. And I do that too. Does that make me a good person? No, it makes me a law-abiding citizen. But they think because they do some good things, because they follow the rules, and maybe because they follow the rules of the religion, I'm a good person. What would I possibly need to be saved from? When I go before God, he'll take out the scales and my good deeds will outweigh my bad and I'll be good to go. It's just pride in us that makes us say these things and believe this stuff. And pride always leads to indifference. Back then, they did not care about Jesus because they did not see themselves as sinners needing a Savior and people have that same attitude and take up that same position today. I would rather have Santa at Christmas time than Jesus because Santa's going to give me all the things that I deserve because I've been such a good little boy or girl. I don't need Jesus. I'm not a bad person. Uh, you're a sinner just like me. You need a Savior just like like me. There is, uh, I, there, I, I can't conjure up or construct enough good to get myself access to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do. What God sees is nothing but filthy rags. If He sees my righteousness, which really doesn't exist. People today take that same position, prideful indifference. They don't care about Christ because they don't understand their condition or need of a Savior. They don't believe they need a Savior. I'm okay. I'm okay. They keep saying that. I'm okay. Even after failure after failure, I'm okay. Even after addiction after, I'm okay. You're not okay! Lastly, and perhaps the saddest of all, the people of Jerusalem. I say perhaps the saddest of all because Jesus wept over Jerusalem as he was about to enter it for his Passion Week because he was utterly broken at how the people rejected him as their Messiah. Luke 2, 8 through 9 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, no duh. And then down in verse 20 it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Out of all the people in Jerusalem, God singled out shepherds to receive the great news about the birth of Christ. Shepherds were a despised group because they couldn't maintain all of the you know, religious ceremonial washings and things like that and all those kinds of activities that, that others you know, participated in and engaged in with great fervency. They couldn't do that stuff because they were always out in the field tending to the sheep. So they were a dirty bunch. They worked with their hands. And they were despised because of this. And yet, no one else from the city came to see the Christ child except these unclean shepherds. Isn't that interesting? 
Herod didn't come out there. The religious leaders didn't come out there. And you'd think the religious leaders would be the first group out there. They call Uber, get a cab, let's go. A couple camels roll up, they're out there. No, none of that happened. Just that the ones that, that get the message and the ones that go out there are the dirty shepherds. The masses in Jerusalem missed Christmas, even though the birth of Christ took place only a few miles away. I like the part where it says, and the shepherds returning. They, they went back and told people about what they had seen and what they had saw, and yet nobody flinches. Do you not realize our Savior, our Christ, has been born just a couple of miles away? Let's go. I'll take you to the house where they're staying. I'm just not interested in that. This was the fulfillment of, of all their dreams and hopes. The event that, that would literally change the direction of the world. But the people of Jerusalem absolutely missed it. Why? How do you miss this when, when it's what you've been waiting for your whole life and it's now happening and, and you miss it? How does this happen? False religion. That's how it happens. The people were so busy with the, the rituals of their religion that they missed the reality of Christ's birth. When Jesus asked His disciples a little later on in His ministry, He asked them this, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who, who do people say I am? Their answer was, Some say you're John the Baptist, to kind of like return from the dead. That's kind of creepy. Others say you're Elijah, that old prophet. Uh, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. People gave all these answers about who Jesus was, but none of them gave the right answer. They just kept taking shots in the dark here, but they had no idea. All their speculations were wrong. They didn't know who he is, even though he was in their midst, even though he was born a few miles away, even though it was prophesied. They had no clue as to who he is. And I will tell you, Jesus is the Christ. He's not Elijah. He's none of those prophets. He is the prophet with a capital P. He is the Christ, the Messiah. The people of Jerusalem missed Christmas while they were being religious. Let that sink in for a moment. They missed Christmas while they were being religious. Isn't the purpose of religion to take us to Him? And somehow, they're on the path of religion. Here's Christ. It's astonishing. The people of Jerusalem at the time of his birth, the first Christmas, missed Christmas because they were being religious. And people today miss Christmas for the same reason. They are steeped in, in various cults, traditions, or rituals. They talk about God, they talk about Christ, they talk about Scripture, but they don't know Christ. Some even hold Christmas services at their places of worship, but the Christ they proclaim isn't the Christ of Scripture. It's some other Christ, some make-believe Christ, some Christ who isn't God or who isn't man. The Christ of Joseph Smith, the, 
Christ of Charles Taze Russell, the, the Christ of Scientology, the Christ of, of Islam. I know they don't have Christmas services, but they still teach Christ, but it's not the Christ they teach. Oh, there's a lot of talk and focus and religious activity surrounding Christ at Christmas, but it's not the Christ of the Bible. Oh, it's a tradition that we do, and we go through this thing, and there are a lot of false Christs out there. And I I think probably the most popular, and it's the one that we really emphasize this time of year, and you're going to say, oh my gosh, he's going there, but I'm going to go there. I think the most popular of all is Santa. Oh no, he's laying siege to Santa. My little baby just had a picture taken with Santa. You're going to hell! That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to think about the whole concept of Santa Claus for a moment. I want you to get this in your head. Am I offended by Santa? I could care less about old jolly Chris Kringle. When I see him, I'm like, wow, that job's terrible. I'd hate to do that, especially with kids wetting themselves on my lap all day. That's not for me. Think about Santa for a moment. We may think, as parents, that doing the whole Santa bit with our kids is harmless, but I want you to think about what you're actually doing, what you're actually teaching your children by doing this whole Santa deal. You're actually teaching them false religion. If if we start our children off at the youngest ages with be good, do good, and Santa will give you gifts, because that's basically what we do, there is a good chance that this line of thinking will transfer and, and carry over and become be good, do good, and God will give you gifts. And that's false religion, isn't it? That's earning your way through good behavior to get something from a deity. And that's exactly what Santa's become. He's like a type of deity today. Is that not a false message? Is that not a false gospel? How many of you as parents, and I have to admit I've done it, little Jimmy, if you don't straighten up, you're not going to get those things you want from Santa. How many of you have ever done that? Praise the Lord, I'm not the only idiot in here. (laughs) He called me an idiot. Yeah, I did. I'm one too. Is Is that not an expression of false religion? Be good, do good, and get. It's false religion. No, what we ought to be teaching our children, instead of be good and do good and perform for Santa and then have that become a mindset that they later treat the true God with, what we ought to be doing is teaching them, you little Jimmy are a dastardly sinner. (laughs) Huh? You are such a sinner. You're a little sinner. Look at you, you little sinner. And you need the gospel. That's what we should teach teach our kids around this time of year and let me tell you about the gospel jesus came as a baby and right boom 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 why would we not teach our instead we're teaching them to jump through hoops for santa for crap that'll end up in a toy box that they never even touch again or they end up beating their sister with which is fun to watch for a few minutes then you have to break it up at some point It really is a false message. I know it's silly, it's funny, it seems harmless, but am I totally against Santa? I I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to the extreme of, you know, when we walk by a Santa, we're like this, you know. 
put something over our head and kind of get through the mall and then, okay, I'm clear. I mean, that's just weird. But we should never teach our children to perform so that they can be blessed by God. We should teach them that you're a sinner and you need a Savior just like Mommy and Daddy do. And this time of year, this is when the Savior came to us. That's Christmas. That's what we ought to teach our kids. From the youngest age, don't teach them to perform for Santa because they'll end up trying to perform for God. And you know what? This is so challenging in our culture because we live in a, a, a culture of merit, right? That's one of the downfalls of capitalism. Capitalism's a, a good system, but one of the downfalls of it is the whole idea of earning and being rewarded. And it's okay if you work hard and you get a promotion. I'm all for that. But what happens, we take that mentality and, that, and, and we take that, that philosophical view and then we apply it to true religion. And we now say to ourselves, if I do all these great things, God will love me more or God will show me more favor or he'll bless me. And we shouldn't be thinking like that. Why is it that we aren't content with just having the ultimate gift from God? And that's Christ on the cross. Some of these churches out there are just teaching, if you just do the next right thing and all that, you'll have God's favor. This cross tells the believer you ha there is no higher level of favor you can have from God. The cross preaches that. And yet we're not content with just Jesus dying for our sin and the abundant life that he provides and even just maybe just the joy because sometimes life is hard and there isn't a lot of things and stuff happening, but there's joy, but we're just, that's just not enough for us. We want all of the things. We want to treat God like a genie. Am I promoting a view where we don't serve the Lord and do good deeds? Of course not. But we don't do those things so that he will love us. We don't do those things so he will save us. We do those things because he loves us. We do those things because he saved us. That's what we ought to be teaching our kids. That's what I have to preach to myself every day. I have to preach the gospel to myself over and over and over. Why? Because I forget it real quick. The people of Jerusalem missed Christmas because of false religion, just earning their way and being wrapped up in their rituals and their ceremonies and all these things, and right under their nose their Messiah is born. And then he lives in their midst, and they have no clue as to who he is. They missed Christmas after Christmas. Are we making the same mistake? Application. Who are you like? Are you like the innkeeper who missed Christmas because he was ignorantly preoccupied, just busy with needless things and stuff? Are you like the Romans who missed Christmas because of pagan idolatry? They were just too interested in worshiping their false gods. We worship money, possessions, power, sex, just about anything and everything the human being will worship, especially self. Are you like the Romans? Are you like Herod the Great who missed Christmas because of jealous fear? Have you said no to Jesus because you were afraid of the claim he will lay on you? Because you want to continue to be the Lord and master of your life, the king of your own little kingdom. How's that working out for you? Are you like the religious leaders who missed Christmas because of prideful indifference? 
Do you disregard Jesus because of self-righteousness? I, so, I, I just see no need of a Savior because I'm a good person and I do good things and I know God is happy with me because I keep doing all these great things. And I, just, I don't need a Savior. Is that you? Do you believe that you are somehow earning your way with God? Are you like the people of Jerusalem who missed Christmas because of false religion, because you're steeped in traditions or rituals or maybe even a cult? We have some people that attend this church that are part of this church who came out of some cults. Praise God. My question is, which Christ do you worship? The God-man? Okay, when you're thinking of cult, which Christ are you worshiping? The God-man, the Christ of the Bible, or some other version of Him? If you have children, what are you teaching them? Perform for Santa? Perform for God? False religion? Or are you teaching them about sin and the Savior? Just be honest and transparent with you. I have missed plenty of Christmases in my life, even as a believer. I can relate to the innkeeper. Big time. It's easy for me to become preoccupied and busy with the needless things and stuff of this world. I find that to be one of my great struggles. I'm addicted to stuff. I'm addicted to the bargain. And somehow, even as a pastor, I allow that to kind of blind me during Christmas time and not focus on what it truly represents and who came for me. Which one can you relate to? I think that in some ways we can all relate to one or two of them in here, if we'll be honest and transparent. The good news is, if we are missing Christmas, and maybe we've missed all of them up to this point, it can happen. The good news is if we are missing Christmas, God graciously invites us to return to its true meaning, purpose, and joy. What must we do? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must confess and repent of the things that are causing you to miss it. Consider what it is that distracts you from the true message and Savior and confess and repent of those things in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. God is faithful to forgive us if we'll confess our sins to Him. That'd be a first step for us Christians. Bring these things before God and ask for His mercy, forgiveness, and healing. He will surely take care of His children in that way. He'll take care of you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you must first repent of your unbelief and put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. That's a first step. First step for you, if you're not, you've never been part of a church, and I'm not saying church saves you, but I'm saying sometimes when Christ, you know, Christians in church should be synonymous, but you've never been a part of any of that. It's not your background. It's not your history, just like mine, 30 years of just nothing but pagan idolatry. You don't know anything about it. Your first step is to repent of your unbelief and put your full trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And only God can allow that, and if you do that, it means He's doing it through you and in you right now. You believe in Jesus, 
You, you must believe the gospel. You must believe that Jesus came from heaven. Believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. Believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross. That Jesus was buried to settle your account. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave three days later, victorious over sin, Satan, death, and hell. Believe that He did these things for you. And Christmas will become real to you because Jesus will become real to you. The reason for the season.